Well, amen, amen. It's good to be with you guys today as we jump into the Word, we continue this series that, gosh, i got to say the last several weeks has been so good as Pastor Barsh has been encouraging us all to pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And beginning today, we're going to start taking them one at a time. So today is prophecy. Come on, y'all. Here we go. Um, oh, I left my clicker. Let me get my clicker. <laughs> Thank you. So, let's begin in Revelation, the good place to start, amen? Revelation chapter 19, it'll come on just a second here. Verse 9 says, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In context here, the testimony of Jesus is really the gospel. We could maybe kind of expand that a bit to say the gospel of the kingdom, that redemptive message of Jesus Christ, and the one that the the persecuted believers in the book of Revelation are, are holding to in the face of persecution. And I think the point here is this, is that the spirit of prophecy, um, the, the ultimate goal of prophecy is to disclose Christ, is to disclose the testimony of Jesus, the saving, healing, redemptive, uh, current activity of Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it's about. Um, and so I think of Jesus uh, with the woman at the well. Actually, let me just share this quote from none other than my mother. <laughs> the famous Lucy Hughes once said, the spirit of prophecy is meant to draw you to Jesus. Many times people are closed off to the testimony of Jesus, that he loves them. A prophetic word can open someone up. And I, I've, I've seen that. If you've seen the the prophetic at work, you've seen the way many people are closed off to the testimony of Jesus, and prophecy has a way of just opening up the soul. And I think of Jesus with the woman at the well. I'm going to read to you a bit of the conversation of that story. So Jesus says to her, give me something to drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well's deep. Where do you get that living or running water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Now let me ask you a question. At this point in the conversation, how open to Jesus does the woman sound? Not very open. She's like, I mean, why are you talking to me? This is, this is not kosher. I'm a, I'm a woman. And are, like, you don't have anything to draw with. Like, how are you going to get that water, Jesus? And um, are you greater than Jacob? I mean, so he seems to almost be saying, I'm, I'm not, I don't think you are, right? So at this point, not, not terribly open. The conversation continues. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, Jesus says. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, 
give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to come back to draw water again. So again, at this point, she's like, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I'm here in the middle of the day because I'm ostracized by my village, and this is when I have to draw water, and it sure would be nice to have water that literally makes it so that I never have to come here again and draw water every day. That would be wonderful. And at this point, Jesus takes a different approach. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with right now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, I can perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) So after this accurate prophetic insight, um, the conversation really shifts. And she wants to know, What's the kind of worshiper God's after? What's the kind of place that God receives worship? And they have this amazing exchange where Jesus says, God's God's not seeking people who worship him on this mountain or that mountain, but those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And what are the words that this woman leaves with as she goes back to her village? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The prophetic insight about how many husbands she had and what her current living situation was, that was meant to open the soul. And it's in moments like these where we just kind of say, okay, God's here. Because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, and it opens her up to receive the testimony of Jesus. One time, a girl came down, uh, sat in a room with... um, a group of people who she didn't know who were going to pray and uh, prophesy over her. She sits down, her arms are crossed. She's visibly not open um, and resistant. And one of the guys there says, prays for a moment, and says, this is going to sound unusual, but I just want to apologize to you on behalf of the church. You were sinned against. And this girl just begins crying and the exterior is broken, and she says, when I was 16, I became pregnant, and my family completely rejected me, and my church completely rejected me and kicked me out. And then my mom says to her, do you know Jesus? No. Would you like to know Jesus? Yes. My mom leads her in a prayer to receive Jesus, and then she takes the necklace that was around her own neck, which says sister on it, and puts it around this girl's neck, and says, you're my sister. We're family. You see, ours is a God who takes orphans and puts them in families. And it's in this moment that she just begins crying. She's just overcome. And then later that night, she comes bounding up to my mom, just overwhelmed with joy, placed in a family. You see, the spirit of prophecy, it's the testimony of Jesus. And when done in the spirit, (laughs) prophecy has a way of just breaking shame off of people. You've been rejected by your family and your church. Jesus doesn't reject you. you. You're living with a man who's not your husband and the village has kicked you out, has ostracized you. I'm offering you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Shame's just broken off, broken off. And it's replaced by gospel. It's replaced by words of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And with that, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, says, Pursue love 
and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who, speak, who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I want to go back to chapter 13, verse 2, to set the stage a bit for us, where Paul says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And I mean, Paul's basically saying, look, you could be the most prophetic person on planet Earth, but if you're not doing it from a place of love, you're nothing, Paul says. So with that in mind, we come into chapter 14. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are an extended treatment um, on gifts of the Spirit. And again, verse 1 says, pursue love. That's the ground in which spiritual gifts are already operated in. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And it's interesting, the Lord just kind of, every few months or so, just kind of presses this verse on me, particularly the phrase, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And um, not often, maybe four times a year, every few months, I just hear the Lord saying, are you, Gabriel? Do you? Are you, are you earnestly desiring gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, Gabriel? And um, I'll just respond honestly to the Lord. Like, a lot of times it's, not really that much. <laughs> um, other times, like, I, I want to. But I, I feel the Lord just regularly coming back to me on this. This is a, this is a command of Scripture, by the way. It's an imperative. Um, des- desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. I'm not going to say much about tongues today. Except to say every question you've ever had will be answered by Pastor Bart later in the series. (laughs) Verse 3, my friends. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. So um, prophecy is specifically to people, right? It's hearing a word of God uh, for someone else, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so Paul gives three you know, chief characteristics of what I think New Testament prophecy is to be characterized by. You know, there is, I think, some distinction between New Testament and Old Testament prophecy. And I think of maybe the prophet Jeremiah, who understood his ministry as a prophet to be one of um, building up and tearing down, planting and plucking up. Um, so there was a destructive and constructive element in many ways in, in Old Testament prophecy. As I see it, New Testament prophecy is primarily about upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Um, and I just, I think it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, if we just, if we let this be our litmus test, we would save ourselves a lot of grief with failed prophecies, right? I mean, people should feel um, built up, not torn down. People shouldn't walk away from prophetic word feeling utterly discouraged. Um, 
and it should bring comfort. It should bring consolation. And if you're learning to grow in the prophetic, maybe just take a line right out of the Bible and make it your prayer. Lord, would you share with me some thoughts to strengthen, build up, edify this person? Um, Lord, how might you want to encourage this person where they feel discouraged? These are great prayers. Lord, do you have a message of comfort for this person? If so, I'd, I'd love to be a conduit to share that with them. Um, my mom told me a story again. My mom's super prophetic, and I just have to share it because it, she is. Um, of a time where she was in a, a prophetic ministry time, and uh, someone came in. She was with a team, and they didn't know this, this girl. And my mom just starts hearing from the Lord, and she says, I see you as a seven-year-old, and you're the main caretaker for your grandmother. She says, yes. And it was during those years that you began to feel the sense of calling to become a nurse. And she says, yes. And at this point, her heart's completely open to whatever is going to be said next. And my mom said, Gabriel, that wasn't the important part. The important words were what came next. She looked at her and he sa she says, God wants you to know that he really does see you. And he really does love you. And he knows you. Those are words of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And given the accurate prophetic insight, this girl's all ears, her heart's awake. She's saying, God's really here, which, by the way, is oftentimes what happens with the prophetic. According to 1 Corinthians 14, 24, people say, okay, God's actually here. And in my experience, it's not just unbelievers who need moments like that. It's believers, too, who... We all profess to the omnipresence of God, that God's everywhere all the time. But there's times when God moves and speaks, and we just say, okay, God's actually here. <laughs> like, uh, I know I could sign off on a statement of faith, but actually, he's really here, and I totally believe it. He's here. That's what, that's what, a, 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 that's what a prophetic word that's dead on does. You just say, okay, God's speaking into a moment in time and space, revealing details of our lives and directing uh, right to it. Um, and sometimes that happens in a church gathering, which is the context of 1 Corinthians 14. Other times it happens um, outside the church, like at a Samaritan well, or among your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your families. What if our families were spaces of prophecy? Verse 4, uh, verse four and 5 Say, the one who speaks, speaks in a tongue, uh, sorry, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who speaks, uh, prophesies, builds up the church. Now, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I think this verse is, these verses are pretty self-explanatory, but basically the idea is that Paul places a premium um, on ministry to others, on others being built up. It's, there may be a place for devotional, a personal prayer language. I personally think there is. I think you can make a case for that um, in 1 Corinthians 14. But Paul is very clear what's better than um, yourself being built up is you being a part of building up others um, and building up the church. And he clearly places a premium on that. Now, in this letter, Paul um, has talked about how there are those who are especially appointed 
as prophets, um, who we might say have kind of this, this clear role, and in, in particularly leadership and equipping role as a prophet. So, for example, in verse 28, it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers, and goes on. This is in chapter 12. And then we see a similar thing in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 11, and 12 that says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And, you know, we see this, for example, in the church of Antioch, where it says that certain teachers and prophets were ministering there, and they're very clearly leaders in the church and equipping the saints. And so I do think there is a very clear sense that there are those especially gifted, especially called, in particularly leadership roles um, to uh, guide the body of Christ and equip the body of Christ. At the same time, as you read 1 Corinthians 14, I think there's also a pretty wide invitation to the people of God to participate at some level in the gift of prophecy. Last week, Pastor Bart so helpfully talked about two views on, act, on kind of operating in the gifts. Uh, the first one he mentioned was the constitutive view, which basically would say that, if I, hopefully I get this right, that basically you only, the only people who ever use gifts are those who are especially anointed, who maybe have the office of the gift, and it's only applicable or available to those people. Whereas the situational view would be to say that at any moment, the Holy Spirit could choose to use someone. So it may be the case that like you're with someone and they need to hear the gospel and your response isn't, hold up, let me go get an evangelist and they'll tell you the gospel. Wait one second, right? Like he used that example last week. Or if someone's sick, God may use you to put your hand on them and pray for their healing. It's not, oh, hold up, let me go find someone who's especially gifted as a healer. They can pray for you, right? Um, and so last week, I just pulled this quote right out of your sermon, Pastor Bart. I do believe that we all operate within a primary gift or gift mix, but at any moment of any day, we can be anointed by the power of the Spirit to do what is needed in that moment. And I, I believe that's absolutely true. And I think there's a wide invitation for prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. So in the same way that, uh, you know, not all prophets, not all are prophets, and I think that's true, um, each of us, I think, are invited to listen to God, to see if he might have a word of encouragement for someone else. I think we can be invited to participate in that way. And the invitation looks pretty wide. To the church, he says, pursue love, Christians at Corinth, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all, how many? A handful? I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, right? Verse 24 and 25, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. And then Paul wraps up, uh, the end of the, the chapter is saying, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. It's almost as if we should desire prophecy. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. 
Um, He doesn't say, if you are one of the few, the proud, the brave, (laughs) if you're one of the elite chosen to be a prophet to the nations, you and only you should ever dare to enter into this ministry, right? Um, No. I mean, Paul Paul uses one of the most generic words he knows, uh, which is my brothers. When Paul wants to speak to everybody in the church that he's writing to in his letters, this is what he would say. He'd say, my brothers. Or my sisters. Uh, when Paul wanted to say, when Paul wanted to talk to everyone in the church, he'd say, hey, my brothers, family of God, listen up. Desire prophecy. And si- sisters, you're not left out. In chapter 11, he's talked about women prophesying, so don't worry. In the new covenant, prophecy is for the children of God. It's for brothers and sisters. It's for, in the words of Acts 2, sons and daughters. Acts 2 says, And in the last days it shall be, declares God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and even on my female servants and male servants and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Amen? Um, Years ago, uh, so Jordan grew up with this girl in Homewood, and uh, she grew up in a pretty rough household. Her mother was an alcoholic and pretty absent, and her father was completely out of her life, had no relationship with her father. And so in many ways, she raised herself. She was really, really bright girl. It's important to, to note that she's not ditzy, going where the story will be. Really smart, really self-reliant, um, intelligent girl. And uh, she gets a car, around, you know, around 16 or 17, given to her, and about four or five years later, she's in college, and the car just dies one day. And so she takes, it get, has to get towed to the garage, and they come out, and they say, when was the last time you got an oil change? And she goes, what's an oil change? Um, she had gone like five years without ever getting an oil change. And uh, the car just completely gave up the ghost. Um, and so her friends asked her, like, why didn't you ever go get an oil change? And she said, no one ever told me to. And I, and I thought about, you know, I was, when I was 16, my parents gave me a car, and, and my dad said, hey, there's this thing called an oil change. You've got to do it every so often, and it's just part of it. Um, she, she was an intelligent girl, just never been told. And I feel like for so many people with prophecy, this is the case. They've never been told, hey, you can desire this gift. And it's a pretty wide invitation. I think people are saying, I've never been, I've never been told I could. Well, you're a son and daughter. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 says, do not quench the spirit, which implies you can. <laughs> Be careful. Do not despise prophecies, happens a lot, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. It's a, there's this clear theme in the New Testament of prophecies need to be tested. In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, when a, a prophetic word's given, um, in, a, in a church setting, there's supposed to be a, a weighing of what's said, Paul tells us, weigh what's said, test what's said, 1 Thessalonians tells us. But there's no indication in my mind that they're just supposed to go Old Testament on the person who gets one prophetic word wrong. Like, 
Cleopas, I love you, man, but you got that one word wrong, so you will forever be branded a false prophet in the spirit of Deuteronomy 18. Sorry, bud. Um, I would say, and this is my view, I think there's every indication that prophecy, like any gift, actually, is something that we grow in. So 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Paul says, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel or strive to abound in the building up of the church. So as you're building up the church through your, your prophetic, or your, sorry, your giftings, whatever they may be, strive to excel as you partner with the Lord, as you receive his grace given to you, as you desire and, and press into it. Excel, abound, grow. How many of you know Billy Graham wasn't Billy Graham when he first became, when he first started evangelizing? You grow in your giftings. And I'd like to think I'm not a false teacher because I got something wrong once. <laughs> like, hopefully y'all don't see me as a false teacher for that, right? Um, I think there's room to grow. There's room to excel and abound in our gifts as we seek to be a blessing, right? Um, so, John Mark Comer once said, um, basically, you know, we hear people talking about we got to be wary of the prophetic or listening prayer because all these things are subjective and open to interpretation, and that's dangerous, and so we got to stay away from that. And Comer's answer is, yeah, but so is the interpretation of Scripture. It says, you find me one person who's been hurt by listening prayer or the prophetic, and I'll find you ten people who've been hurt or even ruined by the misinterpretation of Scripture. But yet we don't say Scripture's too dangerous, we can't mess with that, right? So I think that's a really helpful caution. I, yes, are, is there spiritual abuse with the prophetic? Has there been? Of course. And if, and if, you've, if you've felt hurt and are abused by the prophetic, we want to say we're sorry, and we, that's not our heart here. Um, but I think it's, it's very fair to say. I mean, we can't just say just because hurt could happen, we need to avoid it. I mean, if that's the case, we literally should avoid interpreting Scripture because people have been very wounded by misinterpretations of Scripture, right? Um, in fact, even after, you know, even after the printing press arrived, there was a long extended period in the church, decades long, 100 years long, where people just thought it way too dangerous to give people like a personal copy of the Bible. Like putting a, a personal copy of the Bible in everyone's hand sounds like a terrible idea. I mean, who knows what kind of heresies are going to come out. And they're going to start saying everybody and their mom's the Antichrist, right? Um, which, by the way, is exactly what the learned theologians did. Luther and the Reformers accused the papacy of being the Antichrist, and they called Rome the harlot Babylon. The Pope responded very maturely by saying, Nuh-uh, I'm not the Antichrist Luther, you are. <laughs> and it just devolved from there, right? So, but if you're struggling with prophecy, that's okay. And if you're struggling to believe uh, that God still speaks in this way, that's okay. Um, and in the meantime, I just want to say, God will use you in other ways. Like Pastor Bart said last week, we believe that God has given every believer at least one gift, right? And guess what? All the gifts are awesome. They're all awesome. Like, they're all participation in the kingdom. So I want to be super clear. This sermon is not a sermon that should make anyone feel guilty um, 
or anyone else feel prideful about how many prophetic words they may or may not have ever gotten in life. That's not the goal of the sermon. When I sat down to write this sermon, I felt like the Lord gave me a charge, and it was just this. Invite them to desire prophecy. That's the charge I feel like God gave me. Just invite them to desire this. Which, of course, is 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Um, now, even if prophecy, you don't feel like it's your, your, your spiritual gift, or it may not even be something you would like to have, <laughs> if you're honest with yourself, um, I do believe that every Christian is invited to listen for the voice of God in their lives, to what he might be saying. Even if you never feel like you're going to hear on behalf of others and share with others, um, Jesus says, it is written, man does not live by, every, by, by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. And rhema is this, this word that means word in the original language of the Bible, and sometimes rhema is used kind of to contrast with logos, which is also a Greek word, transitive word. Um, and I've always heard it said like, you know, logos is typically like the written word and rhema is spoken word. And that, you know, logos is also, can also be used, for example, as a shorthand for the gospel, like the word of Christ, the logos of Christ as like a message of the gospel. Um, but that rhema is always used in context of spoken, conversational words. And I was like, I've always heard that. I wonder if it's true. So I actually looked at all 68 instances of rhema in the New Testament, and it's true. <laughs> it's always used in conversational settings of spoken words, um, and mostly in just conversations between characters in the Bible, sometimes in conversation with like a, a divine or heavenly message to someone. So for example, Mary says, let it be to me, to Gabriel, according to your rhema. Or Simeon received the rhema word of the Lord that he would not die before he saw the Christ child. Um, John the Baptist receives the rhema word of the Lord in the wilderness um, as a prophet. So sometimes it's used in context of prophecy or uh, supernatural revelation. And again, other times just in conversation, but it has to do with with spoken words. And when Paul tells the Ephesian Christians, this is so interesting, y'all, at least to me, to put on the, the, the full armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. As you know, there's only one offensive weapon. What is it? The sword of the Spirit. Um, and what's interesting is I have always heard that verse as, okay, here, let me put it up. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I've always heard this verse, every time I've ever heard it preached, as take up this, right? Take up the Bible. And that's how you beat back the devil, is with the Bible. Now, let me make a massive important caveat. I absolutely believe Bible memory and in internalizing scripture is a powerful weapon against the devil. I mean, Jesus models it in the wilderness, quoting Deuteronomy over and over again, back to the devil in this collision in the wilderness. I think of Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So is the Bible a powerful weapon against temptation and the devil? The answer is absolutely yes. But I've heard this verse reduced, reduced to Bible memory. 
you just, the, if you just know the Bible and quote the Bible back to the devil, that's how, that's how we push back the enemy. So much so that I heard it always said, like, pick up your sword, and by your sword we mean this thing, right? It's rhema. And does, the, does God speak through the Bible? Of course he does. But it's reductionistic to say that Paul only means Bible memory. He, he's also talking about the voice of God in your life. How do you, how do you, what did God say to you last week? That's a sword. What did the Spirit speak to you last week? That's a sword pushing back the schemes of the devil. How is, how is the Spirit of God speaking in your life, the rhema word of God speaking in your life? I don't believe I'm taking this out of context. I'm happy to say this includes the Bible. Amen. But it can't be reduced to just Bible memory. What's God speaking to you? And it may be enlivened through the scriptures, but what's the living, active voice of God speaking to you? That's how we fight. That's how Jesus fought the devil in the wilderness. It's written, devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that comes out of the mouth of God. This is a sword against the schemes of the devil. Maybe that's why Paul connected prophecy to spiritual warfare in 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. What's God spoken of your life, guys? Fight with it. Remember the prophetic words of your life, Timothy. Memory is a powerful, it's a, it's a powerful part of your spiritual autobiography. On Monday, a guy texted me, thanking me for a prophetic word I gave him years ago. And it was like a really simple prophetic word. Um, it was like, hey man, I just feel like the Lord's inviting you to pursue the depths of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And he, he texted me like, the Lord's been repeatedly bringing that word back up, and he's pressing into purity and seeing God from that place. He's waging the good warfare with the prophecies previously made to him. That's what he's doing. Now, as you listen, a few caveats here, okay? As you listen to the voice of God on behalf of others, don't be surprised if God speaks to you in little bite-sized messages, okay? Maybe even just a single word few guidelines just for us all. Um, maybe don't prophesy babies, marriages, and wealth. Just like, I feel, I feel like pretty much half, maybe more than half of like the pain caused by failed prophecies have been people who are told they'd conceive a child and didn't, or people who are told they'd be married by a certain time and weren't, or that they'd be super wealthy or something. And I, I do know there are lots of Prophecies in the Bible, actually, that prophesy births and, and things like this, and marriages and all that. So I do realize that there is biblical precedent, but don't presume you're among those people. <laughs> Let me just say that right now. Um, I heard someone say, until you can prophesy someone's social security number to them, <laughs> you're not allowed to tell them when they're going to get married. Uh, that's a great rule of thumb. So, anyway... Instead, start small and just ask God his thoughts for another person. God, what, what might you be saying? Take, the, take a line right out of the Bible. Lord, how might you want to build them up? Lord, how might you want to encourage this person? How might you want to speak a word of comfort, 
a word that sustains the weary. The Lord's given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning like one being taught, the suffering servant, Jesus, says in Isaiah. And we're his disciples. So, if you're telling yourself, uh, and, so, and, and let me say this, if, if you receive a prophetic word, test it, don't just receive it blindly. Um, bring, bring, do 1 Corinthians 14, say, hey, I got this word, and um, bring some friends around you and say, hey, what do you think? Weigh this with me. Do that. Um, now, if you're telling yourself something like, uh, I would only give a prophetic word if the angel Gabriel stood before me. Then and only then would I give a prophetic word. Or I wouldn't dream of sharing something I thought might be from God with someone else unless I hear like an internal audible voice that shakes me to my gr the ground. <laughs> like if that's your litmus test for ever stepping out, you will pr probably go your entire life without ever stepping out. Um, my dad had a dream last week, and in the dream he heard several words from the Lord to him, and one of them was the phrase, don't ever stop taking risks. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, including prophecy, um, at some point you're going to have to step out in faith. That faith is spelled R-I-S-K in terms of the gifts. And from what I've seen, the people that have that internal audible voice resounding within in them never began hearing that clearly. They always began by learning to discern that quiet voice of God from their own flesh and their own mind. So it begins there, and just begin by learning to listen, learning to discern, and believing that God speaks. And as those who are entrusted with little, those who are faithful with little will be entrusted with much, and it was as their faith began to grow that God, you, you really are a God who speaks, their prophetic gifting began to grow, began to excel, began to abound. Um, and the truth is this, is that Romans 12 tells us that the gift of prophecy is done in proportion to our faith. So it's not surprising that that's actually how it works in real life. <laughs> because by the way, the Bible is applicable to real life. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, in proportion to our faith, one time I was in a, um, a room on a prophetic ministry team and uh, the, this person I didn't know was there who we were going to pray for. And I, I closed my eyes and just asked God, just would you, what, what thoughts might you share with me for this person? And I just saw this picture in my mind of a, of a little girl dancing with her father in a field. And I didn't, and sometimes God just gives you a message. He doesn't necessarily give you the interpretation and sometimes it's helpful not to presume you have both the message and the interpretation. And so I just said, hey, I'm seeing this, this, this picture of a little girl uh, with her father in a field. Um, does that mean anything to you? And she said, yeah, my father passed away a few months ago. And from that place, we were able to speak right into her place of hurt, right into her place of need and consolation and comfort. And... Uh, and around that time, I had like a week there where God just spoke several prophetic words to me, which is very rare. I'm, I, that never happens. Let me just say that. I go long stretches without hearing prophetically. So let me not posture myself in a way that's not true. But I, I looked at my mom and I said, uh, Mom, 
God's just been speaking to me more lately prophetically. And, she, and mom, who's so much more prophetic than I am, very humbly asked me a question and just said, why do you think that is? I paused and I just said, I believe he wants to speak to me. Here's a thought. What if God speaks to people who believe God speaks? What if we're to prophesy in proportion to our faith, as Scripture tells us? Let me try to wrap all this up a little bit. Um, I used to have a fatalistic view of the gifts. I read verses like 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that says, All these are empowered gifts by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, right? So gifts are up to the will of God, very clearly. They're up to the will of God. And I interpreted that to mean that, okay, so I'm just going to go about my Christian life, do the best I can. Maybe someday God will plop a gift in my lap. If he does, great. If he doesn't, great. And it goes on to say in chapter 12, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. God has so composed the body. God has appointed in the church. And so there you have it, Gabriel. God is the arranger, composer, and appointer. So what else is there for us to do? Except to simply like, you know, sit back and wait to see if a gift becomes evident in our lives, at which point I guess then I'll try to faithfully walk it out. But Paul wraps up chapter 12 before moving on to love, and he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts in verse 31. So, is God sovereign? That's not a rhetorical question. Does God respond to holy desire among his people? And that's a creative tension we find throughout the Bible, not just in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. God's sovereign. God responds to holy desire among his people. And I think that's an important creative tension for us to hold on to. Again, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may, be, that you may prophesy. So you may be saying, okay, Gabriel, where do I begin? Begin with desire. Desire to prophesy. Desire and believe. Believe God speaks. Believe God speaks. So, holy faith and desire. Or holy desire and faith. Wow, that sounds really simplistic. I got up and came to church for that. I want my gas money back, right? (laughs) Um, You and I would be better served by a a fresh feeling of holy desire than some sophisticated teaching on this. I promise you. It would be much better for our souls if we had a fresh feeling of desire, if we actually went after verse 1 here, than if we broke everything down into this perfect exegetical fashion. Um, God wants us to desire prophecy. I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's, it's there. It's on the screen behind me. Um, and desire, I think, comes with uh, knowing the giver. My daughter, Adeline, isn't desiring gifts from any of you. 
Why? Because she doesn't identify you as a source of gifts in her life. If, if we long for spiritual gifts with the passion Adeline longs for her birthday, I mean, could it be that our passion for spiritual gifts is weak because we need a renewed vision of the giver? Um, at the recent Kenfish conference, there was a woman who, who flew in. I'm about to wrap up, y'all. Sorry. Um, and uh, from from somewhere up up in the northeast, and um, I was praying for her, and I just asked the Lord, Lord, would you give me a word for this woman? And I just uh, heard the word friends, and so um, I I said, um, Hey, I feel like I just keep sensing the word friends over you. And I feel like the Lord is inviting you to invest in friendships. And she said, wow, I just, I just moved to a new state, and I don't have any friends. I have friends, distance friends, but no one where I am. Um, and sometimes it's just that. It's just one word. It's not some long message or, or whatever. Um, it could be as simple as that. I'm going to go invite the worship team up. As we've seen, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is about spiritual gifts. And Paul sandwiches chapter 13 right in the middle, saying love is critical in this. And I think we could say with confidence this, that if the Spirit of God is the empowering presence in every gift, then love for others is to be the grounding motivation in every gift. And so in that spirit, we're going to do a little, little activation moment here. Can we do that together? Um, and so what that's going to look like is I want us to just take a second and still your heart before the Lord. And I want you to, some of you are at the beginning and end of a row, just kind of look to your right. Um, for the person to your right... I want to invite you, ask the Lord to give you just a sense of his love for the person to your right. A sense of how much God must love this person. And it could be across the row, that's fine. Or take a moment to sit with that. How much must God love this person? gives you uh, a picture or a word or a phrase um, or a Bible verse or like I said maybe just one word like friends and I don't even want to necessarily limit it to the person to your right if there's anyone in the room the Holy Spirit may be highlighting that's great too just ask the Lord Lord do you have something for them for me to share
just a moment, you'll be given an opportunity to share. I'm going to go invite Pastor Bart to come up. Just a couple of instructions. If you're a guest and you wandered in here today and you're like, you may be like really nervous. Oh my goodness, what if someone wants to give me a word? I, I, I want to encourage you to, um, to gently receive. There, there are two aspects to this. There's the giving of a word and then there's the receiving of a word. Uh, the giving of the word, Gabriel gave you some instructions. Uh, I want to add to, um, to say, avoid the language, thus saith the Lord. Um, uh, or any Old Testament King James verbiage might not be helpful. Um, so gently just say something like, you know, here's what I sensed. And just share with him that word. Uh, for those receiving the word, uh, just to humbly receive. It, this may not be God's ultimate direction for your life. Uh, instead, test it, pray about it, seek God. Uh, the person is trying to hear on your behalf and you're receiving. I also realize that everybody prayed for everybody to their right. And so logistically, that's a nightmare. If, you turn to your right and that person on your right is trying to give a person the word on their right to their right to their right you'll never you'll never get to talk to anyone so you're gonna have to kind of uh, give and receive um, you also have a third choice you can simply run away uh, when I dismiss you here in just a second that's up to you God's grace is here um, but we want to encourage you maybe God will use something and do something and believe this is a church where we believe God still speaks. So uh, I'm going to actually speak the benediction over you and then talk among yourselves. Share what God is doing or you're free to you're free to leave or free to worship. Also don't be offended if the person next to you didn't get a word. Everyone's we're all in this process together of trying to distinguish and hear the voice of God and to love each other. That's what the body of Christ, as Gabriel has so effectively pointed out, the motivation for this is love. Stand up with me. I say this benediction because I believe it and I'm attempting to believe it more and more in my life, especially in this arena of hearing the voice of God. Now to him who is able, to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love you. Have a great day in the Lord. Again, unless you feel the need, like really you want to leave, share among yourselves and just um, let the body of Christ be a blessing to one another.